Good morning, everyone. Forever a Catholic, I love the um, idea of confession and repentance. <laughs> and um, today, day two is uh, in Sashim, we tend to talk about difficulties. And um, and I was having some difficulty with this talk because I had kind of vowed or wanted to take off my training wheels. And um, even though I wrote seven pages, <laughs> I really didn't want to um, remove myself from my experience in even the slightest way by um, kind of holding on to these words. So, um, As I was uh, getting ready to leave today, I did take my papers with me. <laughs> um, but I didn't take my computer <laughs> for any last minute changes. So what I did instead is <coughs> at the last minute, just as I was walking out the door, I, I think inspired by Tia, I remembered my own little journal that I had when I was at Tassahara that was given to me by uh, Darlene Cohen. And she even wrote and the inside of it. So just like your, thank you very much for all your good care of me. I wish you good spirit and virtuous practice at Tassahara. I love Darlene. So this was like my, this is like my um, transitional object. <laughs> um, because I actually had, a, I actually had a lot of difficulties last night. And um, and one of the things I want to say about difficulties, uh, difficulties in practice, the things that we experience, is um, one of the things that makes it worse is to think we're all alone in this, that this is our difficulty over here. And um, so in the first page of my book, there's a little, not a little, a Lakota prayer. And so I want to read this prayer. First, I need my glasses, because I can't read my own handwriting. Great mystery, have pity on me. I want to live. This is why I do this. I have to remind myself why I do this, why, why I put myself in this situation. And um, interestingly for me, and I think this is the main point I really want to make today, if I can share something with you is that um, that our difficulties are the path of practice. They are the jewels, the gifts we have. And, you know, we tend to think about our practice and the way we talk about practice um, can really confuse us, I think. Um, Zen is always in this um, offering of teachings that correct as we lean one way, we have to watch out and then make sure we go the other way, not fall into a trap of, so we say, not one and not two. So one of the traps I have fallen into and I continue to fall into after 20 years, I keep falling, <laughs> is this trap. This is the trap where 
we talk about practice and we think of this arc of practice. You know, maybe I start off practicing and there's lots of suffering and very little wisdom. And then I practice for 20 years. <laughs> Hundreds of sheens, I think, I've done now. And, you know, what should be going on really is lots of wisdom, enlightenment, very little suffering. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not bad enough, what we do during Sushin, during a seven-day Sushin, and I've done it on 107, no, not a seven-day Sushin, I haven't done 107-day Sushins, but on every Sushin, I, we condense it. So in five or seven days, we move from deluded self, lots of pain, oh, I'm bringing all my pain in, and then somehow in this mixture of sitting and being with each other, at the end, I'm going to pop out to this beautiful enlightened being that walks out bright and free. You know, and in one way that's true. There is a process that we go through, uh, and yet that linearness really um, gets us in trouble. Because from another perspective, every single moment that we attend and take care of the moment with a certain um, quality of attention and a certain care and a certain understanding, we're free. We're just free. We're free now. Not at the end of a long process. And the interesting thing about the second day, for some of you the fourth day, you know, and, and, and for me, as I, as I get the assignment, you know, that the second day teaching is always about hindrances. <laughs> I get that. So I'm such an expert on it, I can really talk about it. Is that that setup of the word hindrance in, in a way that allows us to fall prey to this duality, you know, that there is these difficulties, these hindrances. Hindrances is like a fetter you know, and these things are problems. And we set up this, um, this idea of suffering and enlightenment as two different things. And we set out on our little practice to rid ourselves of the former and gather and, and grab that ladder. And when we do this, what we do is we, we reenact the suffering that the Buddha is talking about because in subtle or very overt ways, we, we create separation. We create an idea of, you know, I'm going to turn myself into this uh, awakened being. And then what we do is we are aggressive towards ourselves and aggressive towards qualities of our experience. And we think we are not doing the practice right. Tia mentioned it's this paradox, really, in practice about being and becoming. And um, in a way, we don't even practice to get rid of our suffering. But we are only practicing to allow ourselves to have life express itself in every moment without grasping or attaching. So it really doesn't matter 
if your experience on the second day or the fourth day or the seventh day is one of joy and peace and bliss, or it's one of despair and heartbreak. They are all sacred. They are all opportunities to attend, to, to become whatever is happening. So Darlene was always speaking about this, so I want to just, one of the quotes I wrote down of hers, sanitizing your thoughts and preoccupations, which we can really do in Sashin, you know, even the idea where we say, be still. When we say be still, we can misunderstand this that somehow we are freezing ourselves into some kind of stillness, you know, <laughs> as if that's possible, but we try to do it. And we contract. We contract against energies. We contract against um, anything that does not look like stillness. So it, it's not that we're not still, but the stillness is alive and dynamic and responsive. We also say something like, um, we say, like, just watch or be aware of the arising and falling. That's also, yes, that's true. <laughs> but our, our mind is so tricky. So what happens when we do that is often we, we kind of remove ourselves from our experience just a little bit or a lot. And we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that anger over there. I'm going to stay way back here. And, you know, if I keep a, enough distance, that thing will go away. That's, that, that's not the way it works, really. So when we talk about being intimate, we're not kidding. Like, <laughs> it's not like we go this far or this far. It's not like, oh, we create a nice big wide space around our feelings, and we're kind of like, you know, hovering above it. No. Like this. No gap. So Dogen speaks about this, actually. What we're chanting every morning. Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from where one, uh, it is never apart from one, right where one is. What is the use of going often here and there to practice? So are we brushing our feelings clean? But then Dogen continues to warn us about this. And yet, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. So this slight discrepancy is a resistance to what is. It's a contraction. You could say, in a way, um, suffering is simply any contraction of the body, the mind, and the heart in response to the current moment. 
so what was um, my confession <laughs> is, you know, <laughs> and it's sweet because um, whatever our difficulty is, whatever our, our self is, there's something, um, there's a yearning within it. So my yearning really was I wanted to um, really offer something to you, and I wanted to be present while I did it. Um, but the problem was, in that idea, there was a grasping, and then I'm trying to make that happen, you know. <laughs> and um, here's the thought I had, you know, this is the process I went through. You know, so Tia gave a talk yesterday, and I thought, oh, She's so present with everybody. She's so present in her body. And um, so I had this dilemma. You know, I really wanted to be present. But I also wanted to hold on to my <laughs> words. And I wanted, um, I wanted to, wanted to be with you. But I didn't trust enough. So what happened was I sat for a couple of days and um, I felt really present. I was just smooth as silk. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling that lovely sense of, of my, you know, energy settling. My nerves were quiet. I felt relaxed. I felt open. I was like, I'm good to go for this talk. You know, <laughs> this is great. But I didn't even notice this, and this is why even though um, we think somehow, sometimes like we get rid of our difficulties and, and then we're good, but really our difficulties are always there, I think, because there's, there's always, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time there is some separation between us and our experience. You know, maybe sometimes in the beginning of the practice or the beginning of Sashin, it's really gross. You know, it's like pain in my body and I am, I'm, I'm contracting all my muscles and then there's a release. And we think, okay, maybe the separation's gone. But what I discovered um, painfully last night was that I had created a sense of separation and a grasping. I was trying really hard to hold on and control through my words. And I wanted to hang on to this feeling of openness so I can kind of take it and, and hang on to it in here with you. And in doing so, what happened was I, I really suffered a lot. I, um, I, got, I got afraid and I, and I was looking at the words and I say, these words feel really dry. There's like a dryness there because I had, I had left, I'd left the teaching of being with things. And I was trying to um, make sure I could have something I could hold on to in here. So that's my confession, and that's really the process that I'm talking about. So um, when I felt that sense of separation, what happened was, and maybe you know this experience, my mind started to scramble. So I went to bed last night around 11, and my mind just didn't stop. It just didn't stop. It just kept offering 
offering things. Here's some words to say. Here's some words. This, these will be the words that'll make you feel better, you know. Or and then alternatively, it's offering me all these things. And then on the other side, it's also being like, "You're gonna suck. You're gonna <laughs> suck. You're gonna suck." <laughs> and the whole it, and it's kind of humbling because I'm I'm here to teach you how not to do this, right? <laughs> so then I thought, what did I tell my what was I going to tell people to do with this, you know? And I I I worked on it, you know. Um, how do I just start to completely be this experience of suffering? And you know, I the whole talk was really about being in the body. I want, you know, you have to go into the body and feel it in the body and feel it as sensations. It's energetically a lot of energy. And I couldn't get in my body, you know. <laughs> my mind kept popping into my head, popping into my head. And um, and then I just surrendered. You know, there was a way I, I got exhausted and I gave up, and I grabbed m my dog and um, held her, and I, I prayed, you know, to like, just to let go, you know, to just let myself um, be this completely. And then, you know, it popped, you know, something changed and shifted. I kind of woke up, told Greg how pissed off I was. <laughs> And then it popped, and, uh, and I'm back in my body. And I'm grateful for it. And that karmic pain, this pain of my conditioning, I don't know, I have some tremendous fear about public speaking, I don't think that's unusual, is, you know, it points me to some place that I still feel separate. I'm still thinking of you guys out there and me over here as somebody I have to protect. I'm not quite trusting the intimacy yet. I'm not quite trusting my body to just express itself without some sort of mediation. That's just where I am. But I'm grateful for it because this karmic pain is the path and it's, it's, I have to confess it and then I just work with it for as long as I need to work with it. So in a way you can say that our pain actually means the process is working. So in a way you can think about um, Dogen's teaching as, as energetically two things. Um, let's see if I can remember how I said it. Okay, so to stay here, to stay here not apart from what's happening right now, enlightenment, whatever it is. To move away, even by a hair's breadth, suffering. And that's all we need to know, really. That's all we have to Remember in each moment, can we sense how we might be moving away even by hair's breath to be completely in this experience? And the process of zazen I think of is, is twofold, that we sit down and we uh, 
we do develop a calm and an ease, something starts to relax within us. And that process of relaxing and opening to whatever extent we can, maybe a tiny little bit, maybe a lot, we are, con we are creating a psychic container for ourselves. And I believe it's like a, it's not a linear process, it's a circular process. So we create a container, a couple of days of sitting, lovely little bit of ease, a little bit of being able to see, a little stability. And that actually allows the pain to come up. Then we get to sense into the suffering, sense into the separation. That's our job, really. It's not to sit here, like, um, blissed out. That's nice if it happens, but it will shift. <laughs> but to sit in the middle of it, in the middle of those raging waves. So, <coughs> so I wanted to read something else that I found in my journal. It's from a book called Being Bodies that I read years ago at Tassahar, and I think this is a Jane Hirschfield. She says, <coughs> detachment says that passions and emotions will either be cut off or in a slightly different description will fall away of their own accord with increasing ripeness of practice. The other, non-attachment, says that so long as we dwell in this human realm, we will continue to feel anger, grief, joy, sensuality, passion, fear. But that when these emotions exist, free of a limited idea of self, we will neither suffer nor cause suffering in feeling them. So one of the ways that I was, was considering, you know, how do we energetically engage with these practices, with these, with these experiences, these energetic experiences? Because sometimes, you know, um, we can get into kind of a mental stance. Okay, now, I'm, now I need to be um, this way with this feeling. And in a way, sometimes the mental stance is a little too um, conceptual, a little too removed. So I was thinking, you know, what, what, doesn't, what are the qualities of someone who's awake? How do they practice with their, with their aliveness, with their experience? So the paramitas, uh, six paramitas, are the, um, what, what we're told are the qualities of an awakened being. This is how an awakened being practices with fear, practices with despair. And um, there's six of them, generosity, ethics, patience, effort, meditation or concentration, and wisdom. So, what I want to see if we can sense into, uh, because I think this is where we have difficulties, we have these, we, we, we want to be with these feelings, and yet we don't know how. So 
so let's think about for a moment. I want everybody to close their eyes and um, sense into uh, what is the energetic quality of generosity in the body. What is bot? What is the, how do we know when we're feeling generous? What's the body's expression of it? So take a moment right now to feel that. Imagine someone or something where, the, where a generous spirit easily arises in us. For me, it's my dogs in the middle of the night. If Milo whimpers a little bit, I just kind of pop out of bed with this loving, generous spirit. So take a moment to think about what that is for you. And as you sense generosity, what's the quality of the generosity energetically? What's the stance towards the object you're being generous with? Even So for me, when I did this exercise, there was a, a sense of width or wideness. You know, when we're generous, as Suzuki Roshi says, we give somebody a, a wide field to be in, right? My dogs can do anything. <laughs> and I love them, you know? They can, I can, I give them such a wide field, maybe too wide a field, some would think. So there's space, there's width, there's space. But there's also closeness. You know, so when we are generous with something, we're close to it, we're paying attention to it, we're not removed from it. So we're wide and we're close and intimate. We're in connection. And the closeness is not like a this, it's relaxed closeness. So we can bring this energetic stance of generosity to suffering. Maybe our suffering is we, we don't feel generous. We can literally, and this is where we can get out of this dualism idea, we can bring generosity to a lack of generosity. It's not dependent on us having a particular mood. We can make a decision. We can have an attitudinal, energetic experience towards something. Again, you know, ethics. What would it mean to, if you're angry or you're frightened, to feel, uh, to bring ethics or uprightness to that particular arising? If we're beating up on ourselves and saying we're not good enough, we're not good enough, can we remember our vow not to harm any being? If we can remember that vow, how does that change in our bodies, that feeling of pain or separation? For me, you know, compassion arises when I remember that. I'll just take one more. You can play with this yourselves. So patience. So patience means an ability to withstand. What would it mean to be patient with something? We're supposed to be, you know, a bodhisattva, 12 of you are taking the vows. So these are the energetic qualities of what you are, um, how you say you're going to be in the world. 
So what does patience feel like in the body? Again, you can think of something that you have a lot of patience with. For me, the strange thought came up of cooking onions, you know, <laughs> caramelizing onions on a weekend when I'm not in a rush, you know. I just put the onions in the pan and some butter, oil, and, it, and in order for those onions to get really caramelized, you, if you turn that heat up too fast, they burn. And... Um, you have to get them at just the right temperature. And you just wait and you wait and you're kind of with this for as long as the process takes. Maybe it'll take an hour for those onions to turn and then you just keep paying attention to them and sensing them and then you can begin to smell them and at a certain moment, there they are, these beautiful caramelized onions. You know, And this quality of patience we want to bring to our suffering. You know, um, I was thinking about Jutia because after uh, my sister died and I met with you and I asked you about grief and uh, you had told me, and maybe I'd shared this story already with the Sangha, but you said to me, you know, I am ready to uh, consider the possibility that my grief will be with me for the rest of my life over the loss of your friends. And, you know, not like, okay, let me get through my grief so I can get to the other side, but I'm going to be patient with this suffering forever. And, you know, we do a trick here often. We can say, we, we know that sometimes when we're with something, it transforms, you know. <laughs> and this is, again, that subtle separation, and many of you have mention this or onto it. Patience is like, I really am allowing you to be here for as long as you want to be here. But often we are patient with the idea, if I'm patient with this, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's going to go away. No. What would that kind of patience look like? I, I am open to ha carrying you around with me, my anger. I will carry the you anger around with me forever, if I have to. So then meditation. Again, Joan Sutherland, you know, I want to build a psychic container, as I mentioned, strong enough to hold what would otherwise would have overwhelmed me. So meditation allows us to provide that stability where we can be close and intimate and, and, and have a bit of equanimity, you know, equanimity towards our experience. And um, one thing I think I would like to mention is sometimes when we sit for long periods of time, this happens to me, our concentration builds. And, um, and I notice when my concentration builds, I'm more likely to um, get graspy or reverse. So last night, I, I just loved, I loved that tofu bowl <laughs> so much. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting there, luck, I'm sitting there, you know, with, with Greg and Koshin and Terrence, and they're sitting all quietly, and I'm <laughs> So I, I just think I had a lot of concentration, a lot of excitement, and I was releasing it, you know, into this bowl. And um, 
So we have to notice, you know, that sometimes when we meditate, our concentration gets stronger and we have to be much more careful. We want to like pop out of it or, or then it turns into restless energy or then we use that extra energy and we turn it against ourselves. So we have to be really energetically attuned to where we are. Um, also when we're making effort, right, which is the other paramita, that um, our effort has to be kind of relaxed and balanced and noticing when it's too much effort, too little. And also that <coughs> you can rest in the effort that's just being offered to us as a whole. You know, some of us really effort in this self-reliant way. I am efforting, I am doing, I am doing, I am doing this practice. You're not doing this practice. All beings are doing this practice. Fifty-five of us are doing this practice. So our effort can get really relaxed and wide when we let go of an idea of our own effort. So then wisdom. And, you know, I we have this tendency to seek out wisdom, you know, like I'm going to get really, I'm going to have all these wonderful insights, like we're going to collect them <laughs> or we attach to them. But if we are truly in our bodies, like yesterday, last night, you know, I, I was, I stayed with my suffering. I really did. And um, all of a sudden I saw what I was doing. It just popped up out of staying with the experience. The insight just arose. I didn't have to work at it. I saw. And as soon as I saw it, I saw that it wasn't solid. Like it all released, it became air. But so we, we, we have to trust that our bodies will offer this wisdom if we stay with it. So being with the struggle intimately does allow for the insight to arise. What I wanted to do is um, make sure I read this poem before I left because I'm laughing. Here's the other thing that my mind said. Doubt is just, you know, we have five hindrances. I'll mention what they are, which is the way we describe these difficulties. Um, sensual desire, grasping tofu bowl, you know. <laughs> um, ill will. Ill will. So many of us turn <coughs> against ourselves and really just torture ourselves against some spiritual ideal that's ridiculous. Um, sloth and tor torpor. And so when we kind of collapse and disassociate and zone out, you know, it's like, oh, I feel good. Let me just hang out here. And we, we, stop, um, we stop using that calm to then refocus our energy into concentration again. And um, how many did I do already? No, you three, right? Uh, which one did I miss? Restlessness. <laughs> no, yes. Doubt, right. Well, doubt, I leave. <laughs> Tia and Greg have worked with my doubt 
oh my God, Greg, you is so sick of my doubt. I can't, I know how sick he is of my doubt. I am sick of my doubt. And, um, and doubt is so dangerous, you know. It, um, it's kind of like a, a distancing and a remove from our experience, you know, but it's so clever in its analysis, you know, of why something is not good enough, you know, and not to be trusted. So, um, so maybe you find yourself in some of those, and really when you do, my guess is, is that underneath there's something you don't want to feel, that there might be a pain or emotion or feeling of vulnerability underneath there, or just a kind of, um, uh, a kind of fear of releasing. You know, so, so keep checking it out. See, 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 listen, sense. And that, I think that more tender thing will arise if we just don't give in to these kinds of states of mind. It's funny, I think these journals kind of like <laughs> say so much about who we are, right? <laughs> what we need. So here's... Um, Here's one of my favorite poems, so sweet, by Hafir. <coughs> Maybe some of you know it. I know the way you can get. I know the way you can get when you have not had a drink of love. Your face hardens. Your sweet muscles cramp. Children become concerned about a strange look that appears in your eyes, which even begins to worry your own mirror and nose. Squirrels and birds sense your sadness and call an important conference in a tall tree. <laughs> they decide which secret code to chant to help your mind and soul. Even angels fear that brand of madness that arrays itself against the world and throw sharp stones and spears into the innocent and into oneself. Oh, I know the way you get if you have not been out drinking love. You might rip apart every sentence your friends and teachers say, looking for hidden clauses. You might weigh every word on a scale like a dead fish. You might pull out a ruler to measure from every angle in your darkness the beautiful dimensions of a heart you once trusted. I know the way you can get if you had not had a drink from love's hands. This is why all the great ones speak of the vital need to keep remembering God. So you will come to know and see her as being so playful and wanting, just wanting to help. This is why Hafir says, bring your cup near me, for I am a sweet old vagabond with an infinite leaking barrel of light and laughter and truth that the beloved has tied to my back.
what happens in your body when you hear those words? For me, I feel nourished. It really is like a drink. So notice if you're getting parched <laughs> by the tightness of your body, your mind, your heart, and see if you can keep um, opening up and resting in so much love in this room and these teachings and in life itself. And I'll try to do the same. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.